Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I want to continue with a series that I started a few weeks back called Behind the Scenes. Last week, we put that on hold because we had our good friend Dan Leanne come and minister, which I really, really enjoyed. And if you weren't here or liked it so much that you want to listen to it again, get on our website or onto iTunes and you get all of our messages absolutely free of charge. And you can listen to them over and over and over again. And you can also spread the word and let your family and friends hear these messages. Many, many people are getting online all around the world, listening to our messages and watching our podcasts, etc. So it's exciting days that we live in. Having said all that, I want to continue. We're up to part four with our behind the scenes series. And I don't want to presume that everyone was here at the beginning. And so I just want to reiterate where this title came from. And uh, as I've already mentioned earlier on, um, and you may have guessed based upon some of the things I said, I do like going to the movies. And it never ceases to amaze me that at the end of every film I've ever seen, there's a whole list of names. You ever notice that? Not just the names of the main players in the film, not just the names of the main characters, but numerous names, people that you never hear from, people that you never see in the movie, just lots and lots and lots and lots of names. And, and one time I was just watching a film and I saw these credits going up and I felt just God speak to me that there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes that you don't actually see in the movie. And I felt that is so true for the Christian life. I, I'm up here most weekends for about 40 minutes or so preaching a message, but I want you to know that this is the smallest part of what I do. And one of my concerns about the church today, particularly amongst the younger people, is they see what takes place up here on stage, be it through the preaching of the Word, be it through the playing of the instruments, be it through the songs that are sung, and people buy into, they want that. They want the five minutes of fame instead of the lifetime and lifestyle that it takes to get to this place. And so what you see up here of myself doing week after week is the smallest part of my week. And it got me thinking and putting this series together that uh, would get us thinking a little bit deeper about what it takes to live the Christian life. And so I wanted to talk about some out of sight disciplines to live an out of this world life. Some disciplines that take place that no one else sees that we give you an out of this world life. And we've already looked at prayer and worship and the reading of God's Word. And today I want to look at something that I've entitled just stewardship. Stewardship. Stewardship is not a word that we often use today. So let me explain what I mean when I say stewardship. Because to really understand what I want to say today... To really understand the principle of serving, volunteering, giving, tithing, you need to understand the doctrine of stewardship. A steward, according to the dictionary definition, is a person whose responsibility it is to take care of something. Real simple. So if you are a steward, you have been given a measure of responsibility and that you are asked to steward what you've been given well. 
A modern day take on this would be an airline steward. Those airline stewards, which are both male and female these days, walk up and down the aisle with food that has been given to them. They've been entrusted with a cartload of food. It's not their food, but they've been given food to give to those who are passengers on the airline. They are stewards of the food. They are stewards of the drink. They are stewards of the ice creams. They are steward of the stale sandwiches. They are stewards. Can you imagine if they just parked up having received all this food and just ate it for themselves and said, it's my food. They would not be being a good steward of what they were given and what they were entrusted to. Got it? So it's this that we want to speak about and look into today. A steward is a person whose responsibility it is to take care of something. Stewardship is understanding that everything belongs to God and what He gives to me comes with a responsibility to steward well. Everything belongs to Him. In other words, nothing is ours. The house that we live in, that we say, this is my house in the middle of the street. Some of the people my age and older will get that. But anyway, English band madness, uh, doesn't matter. Anyway, we say it's my house and that vehicle we drive is my car, but essentially it's not yours. Nothing that we actually own is ours. You get married, that's my wife. You have kids, my kids. Essentially, it's not your wife or your husband or your kids. Everything belongs ultimately to God. Some may argue, well, I've studied hard, I've worked hard. I've invested wisely. And I would say to all that, that is great. And that's what you should do. But it was God who gave you the ability to work hard. It was God who gave you the mind and the intellect and the will, etc., etc., etc. Everything we have ultimately belongs and comes from God. Even being parents, you say, we brought this child into the world. With God's egg and God's sperm, we brought this child into the world. So ultimately, nothing is ours and everything belongs to God. Let me explain it this way with a little joke. One day, a group of scientists got together and decided that man had come a long way and no longer needed God. Sounds familiar. So they picked one scientist to go and tell him what they were going to do with him. The scientist walked up to God and said, God, we've decided that we no longer need you. Sounds familiar. We're to the point where we can clone people and do many miraculous things. So why don't you just go on and get lost? God listened very patiently and very kindly to the man. After the scientist had finished done talking, God said, very well, how about this? Let's have a man-making contest. To which the scientist replied, okay, great. But God added, now we're going to do this just like I did back in the old days with Adam. We're going to do it old school. The scientist said, sure, no problem. And he bent down and grabbed himself some dirt. To which God replied, no, 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 you go and get your own dirt. <laughs> Nothing belongs to us and everything belongs 
to God. Let me give you one personal illustration. Some of you already heard this. But a few years back, my kids got hungry. Surprise, surprise. And they said, can we go through the drive-thru and go to the place, I won't mention any names, but the place where the burgers are better. (laughs) And so we did that because I, like the advertising, agree that the burgers are better at that place, which we won't mention, so as to not show any preference. But you all know what I'm talking about. Two letters come to mind. An H and a J. Anyway... We went through the drive-thru and I was being good and I wasn't, you know, that hungry. And so I didn't have anything, but my kids did the, you know, the Happy Meal and the, the chips and the upsize everything and all this. And, and I went from not being hungry to smelling the smell of the food thinking, oh, I could, I could go a chip or two. Who's ever done that? Every wife has, that's who. Who's ever been to the drive-thru? I'm going to buy an ice cream. I want a whole ice cream, honey. No, I don't, no seriously, I want the whole thing. I'm not going to share it. Are you sure you don't want one? No, I don't want one. But I want the whole one. That's fine. I won't have any. Fine. And then you buy it and you're looking at it. And, oh, can I have I, oh, I hate that. Anyway, <laughs> I hate that. Someone said yes, and they're only going out with someone. That is marriage, mate, right there. Anyway. (laughs) We don't have many issues in our marriage, but that one is a big one for us. Anyway. (laughs) I'm feeling like I'm being counselled just now as I'm getting off my chair. I feel like I'm in a couch right now, just purging myself, cleansing myself. feel better for it. Thank you. I appreciate that. And so we were, we were in the car and the kids had their stuff and, and I got the smell of and chips. I thought, oh, I could, I could go a fry or two. And I won't dob any one of our three kids in because I think, to be honest, they've all been guilty of this. So instead of dobbing one of them in, I'm going to dob all of them in. How's that? And I remember asking one particular child of mine, I said, oh, can I have a chip, please? I even said, please. And they responded with this. No, they're mine. <laughs> I was driving the car. Just... <laughs> Here's this child that I gave birth to. Well, no, no, no. Ah. Oh. Ah. Oh. I'm going, I'm done. I can't recover from that. I can't, I can't. Here's this child that I played my part. It was a fun part. Gosh. Here's this child that me and my wife brought into this world, for want of a bit of a term, sitting in my car, eating the chips that I paid for, 
And all I asked was a couple, not a tithe, not a tenth, <laughs> just a couple. And the response was, they are mine. And at that moment, I thought, that is very poor stewardship. At least my kids can be forgiven because they had youth and inexperience and a lack of wisdom on their side. Now, what's our excuse as older ones? Because if we're honest, we may have passed the chip test. And some of you, if you're honest, haven't. But there are lots of other tests that come our way. And we say, it's mine. My money. Really. My house. My car. Really. Let's just see how much you can take when you ultimately leave this earth. We'll see how much is actually yours. Stewardship is understanding that nothing's ours. Everything's God's. But because he's so kind and gracious, he gives us so much and then expects us to be good stewards with what he has given us. I could go home now on that one. And stewardship, like prayer, like worship, like reading God's word, are all meant to be a normal, say normal, a normal part of the Christian life. This isn't for the super Christians. This isn't for the leaders of the church. Prayer, worship, reading the Bible, stewardship is something that every Christian should be engaging in on a regular occurrence with a smile on your face. And so let me turn to the word to massage in what I've already just said. Jesus told many stories. We know them as parables, but ultimately they're stories. Jesus was a master at the art of capture. He was brilliant at um, exegeting his culture. He was brilliant at looking at the world around him and using the world around him to illustrate his point. And he did that many times in such a simple form, we call them parables. And those parables were written down and recorded by men who were living at that time, who were hearing with their own ears. One such man was Matthew. And in Matthew's account, which is found in the first book of the New Testament, we read in verse 25, the parable of the talents. Again, Jesus said, it will be like a man going on a journey. He called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one, he gave five talents of money. To another, two talents of money. To another, one talent of money. I love to count. <laughs> Each according to his own ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who received five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two talents gained two more. But the man who received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, say long time. After a long time, the master of whose servants returned, settled accounts, uh, returned to settle accounts with them. The man who had received five talents bought the other five and said, Master, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. 
The master replied, well done, good, faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man who received one talent came and said, Master, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you had not sown and gathering where you had not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. Get this, the master's reply. The master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I do not sow and have gathered where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one with 10 talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he, who, uh, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him and, thro- and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. As with every story Jesus ever told, there are so many things you can draw from it. But I usually, for the most part, try to limit it to just a few. And that's what I want to do this morning. Three things this morning that we can learn from this story that Jesus told to help us understand stewardship just that little bit better. And the first thing is simply this. That stewardship is a reflection on how we see God. How we steward depends ultimately on how we view God. The master in this story that Jesus told was the same guy that spoke the same way on the same day At the same time, with the same heart and the same spirit and the same words to these men. And yet it was received differently. One man sharing one message on the same day and yet the message was received differently. Two men of the three in the story, heard and saw the kindness, the generosity and the opportunity and grabbed it with both hands and went to work at once. Wow. But then there was one guy and that one guy was in the same room at the same time on the same day hearing the same message with the same heart from the same man and he was annoyed and afraid. Why? Because he viewed his master in a different light than the other two. He didn't see him as generous. He didn't see him as kind. He didn't see it as an opportunity. The Bible records that he saw the man as a hard man, doing the wrong thing, harvesting and reaping and sowing where he should not have been harvesting, reaping, and sowing. My question is, when someone gives you one talent of anything, could be to suggest, actually, there's some generosity going on here. 
I mean, granted, it may not be as much as the other guys, but just by virtue of receiving something from someone would suggest, you'd think, that there was some form of generosity going on and that maybe, just maybe, my thoughts about this man actually aren't true. I mean, I've done a lot of study on, on talents and what they are and, 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 and how much they're worth. And, and, you know, when you go on the internet these days, that's a good and a bad thing. But there are just so many indiscrepancies as to what a talent is. And, but this is what I have learned. A talent is a measurement. Like a kilogram is a measurement. It's not an amount, it's a measurement. Does that make sense? And although I've done a bit of study about this and seen there are some discrepancies, I've kind of picked a middle-of-the-road amount of weight that a talent is. Some would say more, some would say less. But I have learned that there are a Greek talent and then there is a Roman talent, and a Greek talent is slightly less than a Roman talent. But a Roman, sorry, a Greek talent is about 26 kilograms in today's language. And a Roman talent was about 32 kilograms. Now, depending what the article was that was given, that could equal a lot of money. I mean, even if it was 26 kilograms of beef, that's a lot of beef. It's still not to suggest that the man is stingy. Even one talent of roast beef is still a generous act. But he couldn't see it. Imagine if the talent was gold, 26 kilograms of gold. I mean, if I offered a certain person $5,000 and then someone else $2,000 and said, I've got $1,000 left I want to give to somebody. Would you be saying, I don't want that? This talent was worth a lot more than $1,000. But if I said, I've got $1,000 here to give somebody and then I gave it to someone and said, oh, pretty stingy. I mean, wouldn't you think, really? It's $1,000 more than you ever had before. But he could not see what he had because of who he believed his master to be. He was blinded to the generosity of his master, no matter what his master did, gave or said. And unfortunately, there are many people today that treat God the same way they do this man did the master in this story. We see, we, our, our, our starting point when it comes to God is he's a mean God. Why does he let bad things happen to good people? Which is to overlook so many good things he does every day. For every horrible act that takes place, it's superseded by incredible, abundant acts of kindness and generosity by virtue of us being alive today and the sun rising this morning is grace, 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 generosity, generosity, generosity. So even if God didn't give us anything today, He's given us life. How does that help me? Well, I think life helps us. But if you can't see it, you never will. The way we steward reflects the way we see our master. People are very quick to give me their reason why they don't tithe, why they don't give, why they don't invest. And tithing's old covenant. We'll look at that a little bit later. 
at another time. I think I'm going to run out of time today. I really do. But essentially, the argument is not whether it's new covenant or old covenant. Essentially, it's an issue of the heart. And how we view God. And how we view Him. My question to you is, how do you see God? Because how you see Him will determine how you behave. How you respond. Is He a hard, mean God? Or is He a kind, generous, gracious God? On that matter, how do you see church? How do you see your leaders? It never ceases to amaze me that we can feel pressured to give money to an organisation that knocks on our door. And yet when the local church says, let's buy into this project, we get sceptical. It's disproportionate to the prayer, the love, the support, the concern that has been ongoing for us in this church 20 years. So how we view God will determine ultimately how we respond to Him. This is not a twist your arm for money preach. This is a check our heart preach. Secondly, stewardship is a matter of choice, not wealth. All three men were given something, albeit to varying degrees. And those varying degrees were according to their ability. In other words, the master knew what they could handle. Stewardship is not about what you have or do not have. Hence the five, two, and the one talent in this story. These men were all given something and expected to do something with their something. Tweet that. Sadly, I want you to catch this because this is really important. This is going to help. Sadly, our culture today tends to look at issues of poverty and wealth, the haves and have-nots, rather than the righteous or unrighteous. Even to this day, the church struggles with those that are doing well financially. And I know there's some people who have come under extreme pressure over the years in Christian circles because they're actually doing well and they're financially blessed and they're made to feel bad about that and you should not. The issue is not about the haves and have-nots, the, 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 the what you have and what you do not have. Poverty, poverty in and of itself is not a virtue. The Bible doesn't talk about having or not having. The Bible talks in terms of righteous and unrighteous behaviour. In other words, you can be rich and righteously rich. The Bible talks about the righteous rich. In other words, you can be rich and God can be blessed. And so if you are a rich person today and you are a righteous rich person, no condemnation. The righteous rich would be conceded, uh, conceded the people who become rich because God has blessed them. People who have worked hard and invested well. 
people who have not gained wealth through sin, people who spend their money righteously through tithing, sharing, caring, giving to the needy, etc., etc., etc. And examples of that in the Bible would be Abraham was a rich man who was righteous. He was rich and he was righteous. See, it's not all about having the same. Christianity is not communism. Communism does not work. There will always be those that have more than you and there will always be those that have less than you. The issue is what are we going to do? Are we going to live righteous with what we've been given or unrighteous? Abraham lived righteously with his wealth. Joseph of Arimathea was a wealthy man and he was a righteous wealthy man. And when Jesus, the body of Jesus needed housing, he said, here, have my tomb. A righteous man who was wealthy equals no condemnation. You can have the righteous poor. In other words, you may come to this church for 20 years and find that your finances don't get any better. That doesn't mean you're out of the will of God. This notion that if you serve God, you'll be blessed and you'll be the head, not the tail, and you'll have a big bank account is not true. It's not true. It can be. But it's not true as a statement in and of itself. Because there are many people that are righteous yet poor. Jesus Himself was the greatest example of that. The most righteous man who ever walked this earth was a poor man. There was one occasion when Jesus was looking at those putting money into the treasury. And He noticed those with lots of money putting in lots of money. But He noticed this one woman, this, this widow, who put in all she had. She was poor, but she was righteous. It's not about what you have or don't have. It's about whether you are righteous or unrighteous. So you can be righteous and rich, and you can be righteous and poor. And we have them here today. Be blessed. Be blessed. But we can also be rich and unrighteous. People who come or become rich through sin. You can, you can make a lot of money through ungodly means and be rich but not righteous. You can be a person that's got a lot of money and spend your money in sinful ways, rich but not righteous. Judas Iscariot was such a man. The rich young ruler that Jesus spoke about was such a man. So having money or not having money is not the issue. It's what we do with what we have, not what we, what we don't have or what we do have. Also, you can be unrighteous and poor. Like I said before, poverty in and of itself doesn't make you a blessed person and doesn't make you more spiritual. It could just mean you're not very good with money. <laughs> Some people are poor because they are lazy. They don't work hard. They spend poorly. They don't save. Poor and unrighteously so. People who don't tithe and give to the needy and help their fellow brothers and sisters. Proverbs calls them sluggards. <laughs> Always making excuses. Here's a statistic for you. And it highlights this thought, that in Australia, there is no real poor people. A family with two children in this nation, with both parents unemployed, can earn quite a bit of money in this nation. 
such is the blessed country that we live in. That's not a sin. But let's not be complaining that we don't get much from the government. The fact that you cannot work as a husband and wife in this nation and have children and still get money, that is not true in most parts of the world. I look across this auditorium and I don't see too many really poor people. When we talk about poor, we talk about not having as much as somebody else. And that's why comparisons are a curse. We don't even really have any problems. Our problems are first world problems. This is a first world problem. The internet was slow. Third world problem, I don't have clean water. I say again, in Australia, we don't really have poverty like most parts of the world. In actual fact, by virtue of living in this country, you are in the top 5% of richest people in the world. We are the haves. Look to the person next to you and say, you're a have. The question is, are we going to be righteous with what we have or unrighteous with what we have? And that's what God is interested in. And my last point as the band comes, because we're all but out of time. Stewardship determines your future. Stewardship determines your future. In the end, it didn't end well for the man who only received one talent because of his poor response. He displeased his master, firstly, and secondly, he's lost his inheritance. Now, I'm not here to say this is a manipulative statement because if you don't tithe and if you don't give and if you don't serve, you're not going to drop dead. You're not. You won't. So just breathe a sigh of relief if that's you. But I do believe you will live outside of the best life that God intended for you. I do believe that you'll live outside of the purpose and the promise that God had for you. You can violate a godly principle and work seven days a week. God himself rested and God never gets tired. He never sleeps or slumbers, the Bible says, and yet he rested. Why? As an example for us. But you can work seven days a week and you won't die, but you will kill yourself. You got it? God's not going to kill you for working seven days a week, but by virtue of working seven days a week, you'll probably end up killing yourself. And I think there's many things that we do whereby the judgment of God doesn't break out. And so because we're getting away with it, we keep doing it. But essentially, we're watering down the potency of our life and message. And this whole series is about us embracing spiritual disciplines. Things that people don't see that we might live in out of sight world, uh, out, of, out of this world life. God, I believe, wants to bless us in this life. And we saw that with the talents. While the man was still alive, he received five more talents. So now he's got 10. He also received the extra talent from the man who was unfaithful, 11. There's this incredible abundant life that God wants us to live. 
And I believe you can be righteously poor and live an abundant life and you can be righteously rich and live an abundant life. But it doesn't just stop there. It's not just for this life that we have a hope. It's for the next. Death for the Christian is just really a homecoming. A passing from one life to another. And we have this incredible opportunity to store up for ourselves treasure in heaven. Rick Warren says, your people can invest in eternity by using their money for God's purpose. It's secure, it's risk-free, it's guaranteed interest, it yields dividends forever. These are some out-of-sight disciplines for an out-of-this-world life. For us as a church to see something that has never happened in church history, we must do something that's never been done in church history. Imagine if every one of us today hearing this message, regardless of where we fit on the scale of rich or poor, grabbed this message and said, wherever I fit, I'm going to do something with what I have. Even the unemployed person who doesn't have a job, you can go on about not having a job or you can go on about having more time. Every one of you who's unemployed has more time than I do. You can be a good steward with that time. What are you going to focus on? What you don't have? Or what you do have? The single people here. All the single ladies. I want a husband, I want a husband, I want a husband. You'll never have more time than you have right now. Or money. Or ice cream, fellas. Some of you, oh, I'm married. I've got a wife to get home to. Man, Batman and Robin always did more than just Batman. The fact that you're married means you can do more. Kath and I, we're like superheroes. Superman and Wonder Woman. She's not my kryptonite, fellas. Some of you use your wife as your kryptonite. Are you kidding me? A chance to get together and live a life together and do more. Be greater stewards. Those that are older, empty nesters. Oh, my kids aren't around. What an opportunity. You're wiser. You've got more money. And you've got an empty house. That equals opportunity for the kingdom. Will you stand with me? Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 